Thank you, choir, for that uh, lovely piece that you've just been singing, reminding us that we have a living, loving God who will take care of us every day, all the way. Now, as a congregation, you are about to embark on a major refurbishment program in the church building, the meeting house. And Mr. Brown tells me it will never be the same again. Indeed, that's the reason why he invited me here today, so I would see it for one last time. And we want to wish you well on that major project. We will follow you with great interest as it develops. And I've got to make a confession. I'm rather glad that this time round, we don't have to be at the heart of it. That's somebody else's responsibility. Now, we all know that church buildings and church halls and offices and so on can greatly assist in the work of the kingdom of God. And our buildings in First Portadown have certainly done that down through the years. Many a time the living God has favored us with a very real sense of his presence. We've met with him. We've heard him speak. He's done good to our souls. And that's true for children, for young people, as well as for adults. And long may that continue to be so as far as this congregation is concerned. And yet, above and beyond new buildings, nice buildings, modern buildings, we are also very conscious that in the work of the church, we need something more. And that something more is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit with us. We need his presence with us to give us joy and peace in believing. We need his power at work in us, changing us to be the people of God that we're meant to be, and to give up courage and a boldness and an authenticity to our witness to Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to reflect upon this morning. God's presence with us, God's power resting upon us through his Holy Spirit. That's the great need in our lives as individuals, and that is the great need within the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. And indeed, there are many of us who would believe that this is the, the great need of the hour within the church and the only hope for our church in this 21st century. And that's something that we should all be praying for. Because Christianity, without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, is mere religion 
And alas, alas, there is too much mere religion in our province and in our nation. And religion in itself is weak and useless and powerless to change men and women and powerless to change our society. Very well then, let me remind you of some of what the Bible has to say to us concerning the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I underline that word, remind, because nothing I'm saying today is new. You know it, you've heard it all before, again and again. But sometimes we forget what we've heard, and it does us good to be stirred up by way of reminder. Number one, it is the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin. Do you remember what we read together from John chapter 16? Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. When he is come, he will convict the world of sin. I'm very aware that in this 21st century, the word sin is disliked. Indeed, in some churches, it's not used very often. I was at a service in a very well-known church with a very popular preacher not so long ago, and the word sin was never mentioned once. And consequently, Jesus Christ as a Savior of sinners was never mentioned at all. We know the word sin in our heads. Sometimes when something very bad happens, we say it was sinful. But I want to contend that whenever the Holy Spirit begins to deal with a man or a woman, then sin is something that bothers them, not only in their head, but in their soul. They become very aware of their personal sin before the living God. They are aware that their sin is a violation of the holiness of God. They are aware that their sin is a transgression of God's holy law. They know that their sin is something that displeases the living God. Indeed, his wrath rests upon them on account of their sin. And they've got to face God's judgment because they are sinners before God. The man, the woman, the young person wrought upon by the Spirit of God is aware of themselves before God as a sinner. And they may fear and tremble before the living God, see themselves to be unworthy of His love and mercy, 
feel themselves to be miserable and wretched and failures before God because they are men and women with a sinful mind and a sinful heart and a sinful past and they feel guilty before God because they are guilty before God. They are sinners in practice as well as in their very nature. And the first and the great work of the Holy Spirit within a person is to bring them under conviction of sin. That word that our Lord used in John 16. Now I say that that person is a blessed person. Blessed are they that mourn, said our Lord Jesus, for they shall be comforted. Sometimes that verse has been used in bereavement situations. That's not the application I venture to suggest. People who are bereaved are not blessed people. They are not happy people. They are sad. They are grieving. They have lost someone near and dear and precious to them. What our Lord is talking about in that beatitude is the man and the woman wrought upon by the Spirit of God who's come to see their sin and the enormity of that sin and the serious consequences of that sin. That person is a happy person because that person is taking the first step on the road to recovery. Second, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to submit to Christ as Savior and Lord. Remember what the Apostle Paul had to say to the Corinthians. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. B.B. Warfield said, Christianity is unembarrassed supernaturalism. And so it is. It is God by His Spirit coming to us, dealing with us, speaking to us, revealing Jesus Christ to us. That all that Jesus Christ is and all that He has done is perfect. That law of God that we broke again and again, he kept fully, completely, perfectly. And they see the wondrous love of Jesus Christ in going to a cross on Calvary and there taking to himself our sins, bearing the shame, the punishment for those sins of ours, so that we might go free. And they see that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners that there is. And gladly do they accept God's offer of salvation through the merits of a crucified Redeemer. The person upon whom God by His Spirit is working, is a person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ 
And they trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And they serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is their everything. He is their all. And I would go so far as to say that that person alone is a true Christian who is in such a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to submit to Christ as Savior and Lord. Third, it is the Holy Spirit who multiplies Christian graces in the life of the believer. We all know those fruits of the Spirit that the Apostle elaborates in Galatians chapter 5. Love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and so on. And those fruits of the Spirit are for every believer. The gifts of the Spirit may not be for every believer, but the fruits of the Spirit certainly are. And the life of a professing believer who does not manifest some of those fruits of the Spirit is a life devoid of the Spirit of God. Because the great work of the Spirit of God given to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is to make us die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. Die more and more to ourselves and be transformed so that we are more and more like Jesus Christ. I remember reading the story of a soldier in London just after the last war. He was marching down the street in London early one morning. And he saw a wee boy looking in a window. And as we would say in Northern Ireland, this wee boy had neither in him nor on him. When the soldier got to where he was, he saw that he was looking in the baker's window. And the baker was baking donuts. And he said to the wee boy, Would you like one of those donuts? I would, sir, he says. So when the soldier goes to the beggar, buys a wee bag of donuts, comes out, reaches them to the boy, and off he goes, marching down the street. He'd only gone a step or two whenever he felt a small hand tapping on his side. It was the wee boy. Mister, are you Jesus? Something about that soldier's Kindness, compassion, understanding, care, grace reminded that child of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who multiplies Christian graces in the life of the believer, making you and me Jesus-like. Point number four, it is the Holy Spirit whose fullness enables us 
to enjoy living the Christian life. In Ephesians chapter 5 and at verse 18, the apostle gives us this command. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what will be the evidence of being filled with the Spirit? Well, he tells us in the next verse, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The man, the woman, who possesses the Holy Spirit will be a man who loves to sing. A man or woman who's happy in Christ and happy with their faith and their joy is evident for all. We need a power, an energy, an ability to live as Christians and enjoy so doing. My friends, there's nothing so miserable, so irksome, so difficult, indeed so impossible as trying to live a Christian life by the power of the flesh alone. It's an impossibility. We need the help, the strength, the empowerment, the enablement of the Spirit of God saw to die. And that's why the apostle commands us so. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the scholars tell us that's a present continuous verb in the Greek. Go on being filled with the Spirit of God. And whenever we read the early chapters of the book of Acts, isn't that what happened again and again? And the result was power and pleasure in living for God along with persecutions. And isn't that what so many Christian men and women need today? The joy of the Lord in their hearts a song of praise to their God on their lips, a life that is like that of Jesus Christ, and service that counts for Christ. Point number five. It is the Holy Spirit who gives reality to our praying. Ephesians chapter 6, and again at verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, prayer becomes a kind of meaningless formality, a vain repetition, as our Lord described it. More or less the same words over and over again. No real appreciation of what we are saying. No zeal in the asking. No joy in the receiving of prayers answered. No real desire to worship 
the God of glory in his greatness. Just asking for ourselves. No breadth of vision. Just ourselves alone. But Christian men and women full of the Spirit of God, to them prayer is real. They love to worship the God of heaven. Their prayers are full of thanksgiving. They have a wide concern for the cause of Christ. And to them, prayer becomes a way of life. You know, we can tell a great deal about the condition of our soul just by thinking about our prayer life. If our prayer life is poor, then our spirituality is poor. Our godliness is poor. We know little of the Spirit's fullness. We know little of the joy of the Lord in our souls. It's the Spirit of God who gives reality to our prayer. And one final thing. It is the Holy Spirit who enables the church to advance like a mighty army. Sometimes we used to sing the old hymn, Like a mighty army moves the church of God. But that's not true of the church in our province or in our nation at the present time. In fact, the very opposite is the case. The church in so many places is in retreat, not advancing. That may be true of the church in other parts of the world, and it gloriously is. You think of a place like Korea, where there are services all day on the Lord's Day, attended by 20,000, 30,000 joyful, worshiping people. I read just the other day, that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, where they don't have church buildings, and they're not free to own the Word of God, and they cannot assemble as we do this morning. They have to juke into one another's houses by different routes at different times, and yet God is with his people, and God is blessing his people. And the church in Iran, where it's forbidden, is growing, and growing at the fastest rate in the world. That may have been true of the church in our province at other times. Some of you know I did my assistantship at Oak Park big church, North Belfast. And in an earlier day, if you wanted a seat for the seven o'clock evangelistic service, you had to be in your place by 6.30 at the latest. After that, it was standing room only. And I remind you, that church held 1,200 people 
1200. What was the feature of the church in better days? What made it move? What made it grow? Why did it see lives of men and women and young people changed? What made it have its impact upon our society? I suggest to you this morning, it's like what happened in the early chapters of Acts and has happened many a time since. It was the Spirit of God resting upon His people as individuals and together as congregations of God's people. Let me tell you two stories, and with that I'm through. As you know, I went from First Porter down to two wee churches in County Antrim. Grange, some of you have been in Grange. Craig Moore, a wee small church out on the sticks in the middle of nowhere. Robin knows what I'm talking about. A hundred people in it, and it would be filled to capacity. But that small church is not without its significance as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. When I was there, I had the pleasure of meeting three lovely ladies, the Miss Wilkinsons, and they reminded me of Jean Corbett because they were like her in so many ways. Gentle, quiet, godly, gracious, praying, missionary-minded. And they told me that back in 1859, when the Spirit of God was moving mightily, a thousand people met at Craig Moore, filled the church, filled the graveyard, were standing out on the road, and their mother was converted to Christ as a 15-year-old girl standing on the road at Craig Moore in those days. And I tell you, she must have been a mighty woman. She raised a family to the glory of God. The minister of that place wasn't widely known, but filled with a spirit, he had the courage of a lion. And he and two or three other ministers from Ahoka went to a place that was known as the Cray Rocks. And every year at the Cray Rock, there was cockfighting. Cruel, vicious, barbaric sport, though sport it should not be called. And along with that came drinking and gambling and vice of every conceivable kind. Mr. Smith and the other ministers went to the Craig Rock on a cockfighting day. And they got up, and they started to preach at 10 o'clock in the morning, and that service finished at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the power of the Spirit was resting upon them, And the gospel they proclaimed, so much so that those 
hardened, vicious, wicked sinners bow the knee beside a hedge. And many of them left and went home. And there never was any more cockfighting at the Cray Rock. Never. Instead, a mission hall was built, and it's there to this good day. The power of the Spirit to save and change an individual. The power of the Spirit to change society, and that for the better. That's why we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to submit to Christ as Savior and Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who multiplies Christian graces in the life of a believer. It is the Holy Spirit whose fullness enables us to enjoy living for Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who gives reality to our praying. It is the Holy Spirit who enables the church to advance like a mighty army. Three words of application as I finish. If in church today you are not a Christian, pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, would show you your sin. And pray also that God would also show you Jesus as the Savior of sinners. Pray that and keep on praying that until you come to the joyful awareness that Christ is your Redeemer. If you are a Christian, do you see your need to be filled with the Spirit of God? And do you ask for that? Pray for that day by day so that you live and work and worship and serve Jesus Christ, not in the power of the flesh alone, but in that power that God supplies through his eternal Son. And the third word. Don't you see the need of spirit-empowered congregations and churches? Some tell us that what the church needs today is a new message, or new methods, or new men or new women, or a new image, so that we can regain power and influence and make an impact on our society. Not necessarily so. 
Not necessarily so. I'll tell you what the church in our day does desperately need. A baptism of the Spirit of God upon us all. An outpouring of that Spirit of God upon us all. And whenever that happens, then the church will live and move and tell for God in the congregation and in the community. And may that be so in large measure in this congregation in first Portadown. Now we're going to pray for that as we sing our final hymn, or not our final hymn, the one before our final hymn, 475.